0: So, Bob Varsha, if you could describe this meal we've just had in one word, what would it be? Cleansing. That's good. Yeah, that's I like solid. That. All yeah. right. That's it. Perfect. You yeah. want
1: the background for why I thought? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, it forces you to think about things. You know, what might they want to talk about? What would my answers be? How do I really feel about? <clears throat> you know, what do I want to say? What do I not want to say? Yeah. That kind of thing. I think it's good to. Reflect every now and then. Maybe that's a better word, reflective. But uh, you, want a, you want a second try? Sure. You're still
0: you're still beating Catherine. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Bob Barsha, if you could describe our uh, our meal together in just one word, what
1: would it be? Reflective. And now for dinner with racers, presented by Continental Tire, with your hosts Ryan
2: Eversley and Sean Heckman. Play Holder radio sound. <laughs> Welcome to Dinner with Racers. My name is Ryan Eversley, and I'm alongside my co-host, Sean Heckman. I am currently eating Pringles. (laughs) So (laughs) if we
0: sound a little punchy and tired, it's because, well, we've been in a car together for 30 days straight. I hate you so much right now. And uh, what what is the vehicle that we're in just at This is
2: my Acura MDX.
0: Interesting. Now, this Acura has a certain kind of tire on it. It's a uh, Continental tire. Huh. You know, Continental seems to be a big supporter of this. And so we like them a lot. Thank you, Continental. Uh, We have gone 8,000 miles across 20 states to have 27 different conversations over lunch, over dinner, over breakfast with people in racing. Team owners, drivers, media types, people outside the sport, maybe looking to get in, IndyCar, short tracks, stock cars, sports cars, you name it. We tried to cover it. All so that you, the audience, who got it for free, can still whine about it. So, speaking of people within the industry, Ryan and I were lucky enough to pack up the Acura MDX, right? That's correct. With Continental Tires. Exactly. Uh, And go a whole one block from where you live in Atlanta. That's correct. To uh, Inman Park, where we went to, uh, what was the name of the restaurant? Folk Art. Folk Art.
2: It's literally four doors away from my front door.
0: There it is. (laughs) Uh, But we still got in the Acura and drove.
2: Yeah, well we had to.
0: Yeah, that's part of the deal. but uh, we met up with none other than Bob Marsha. The Bob Marsha. And uh, that's a personal hero of both of ours. And if there's, if there's anything to get out there right now, it's that while uh, Ryan and I both are fortunate enough to know Bob, we don't exactly know him well and he certainly owes us nothing. Exactly. And so for a guy like that to come out, show up, eat lunch with us, kind of unprovoked, was, uh, was very special for both of us. And the conversation with the guy was absolutely amazing. So for those who don't know who Bob Barsh is, um, he's most known in sort of the modern era as as a guy who is a television commentator for Fox Sport, but he also comes previously from Speed, ESPN, covered F1, IndyCar, sports car, figure skating, uh, and a number of other sports. And we learn about where he came from, how he got here, his life in Atlanta, his life growing up in Long Island in literally the same city as Andy Lally.
2: Uh, and he's actually got a pretty good sense of humor about it all. Yeah, he showed up the morning after the WeatherTech series banquet and might have been nursing a bit of a hangover, but it was in good spirits and uh, just treated us like he'd known us forever.
0: So, once again, thanks to Art for
2: letting us kind of set up shop there. What did you have? I had the BLT and the cucumber salad.
0: And I had a chicken sandwich. <laughs> And uh, once again, thank you to Continental Tire for making this possible. Meow. All right, we're gonna start in five, four, three, two. Yeah, I'm, I'm rolling. So, yeah, now we're rolling. We're good. So, yeah, we're good to go. So. And he's going straight to the shirt. <laughs> I, like I like that, <laughs> that intro. Is awesome. Oh, he really is. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> he literally just gave us, like, the what's up, guys. Yeah, so I
0: think he just got, I think he, he literally walks in, he sees us, does a, like, half hearted wave.
2: And then it's like, if I go to the bathroom for yeah. an hour, they'll probably they, just leave. that will be Dover. So right. that's pretty oh, much that. Looks like there's a wait.
0: He's, oh, he's got the queue. Do you think he's just drunk right now? And he's kind of. Is he a little hungover? He
2: might. I that mean, that would be fucking awesome. Right. That would be the interview yeah, I'd yeah, want to listen yeah, to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Oh, he's coming over.
0: Oh, here he comes. The great Bob Varsha. I don't know if you've ever spoken into a microphone before.
1: Now these headsets are
0: Are you not a headset guy? Kind of goofy. No, I'm oh, fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a late, so uh, you're a little knackered from the from the award
1: ceremony. Yeah, uh, more than I expected to be, but you so know, hotel rooms you've never been in before, it's hard to predict. Right. That's part of the thing is that you're you're taking our fields. Yeah, it's real life. You have to sign a waiver, by the way, in case this <laughs> gets used. <laughs> um, can I get y'all something to drink? I'd like some unsweet iced tea with lemon, please. Uh, Arnold
0: Palmer? Unsweetened tea? Unsweetened on the, the tea side. My name's Ali, if y'all need
2: anything, just let me know. Cool, okay, can I get a Diet Coke, Ali? Thank you.
0: <coughs> That's one of the, I find the things with uh, living in the South, because you're from Long Island, right? Originally, uh, yeah. Uh, in the South. I always forget. Coming from California, you have to specify unsweetened mm-hmm. iced tea. That is not so. Like when you ask for an Arnold Palmer, sometimes it is a half sweetened ice, iced tea and half lemonade. So it's literally just as much sugar as Yeah, you <laughs> have. it's like and rock candy, candy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that <laughs> so yeah, that's a that's a Southern thing. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so you had the uh, the awards banquet last night, mm-hmm. and uh, so you're are you a little beat up? <laughs> um,
1: yeah, just a little bit. You know, it, it's 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 kind of tense because you want the thing to go smoothly. Right. Um, actually Justin Bell and I had done the IMSA Bank with the last couple of years right. so we kind of had a little feel for each other. Calvin was doing it for the first time and and Calvin is a perfectionist, you know, and he wants to make sure every T is crossed and every I is dotted and right. and you love him for it, but um, there was a lot of tension and and it's not just because of his sense of perfectionism but the these things are, you know, it's like, the, uh, it's like the entry list for an event like the Sebring 12 Hours. It changes constantly sure. right, right, right up right to right the right green right flag. Right. And that's kind of what we were dealing with as a group last night sure. uh, with the IMSA people. You know, which corporate VIP is going to show up. And, uh, and we actually okay. drop kicked one of them when, uh, when Sonny Whelan came out to pick up the award for the 31 car. Cool. He's the Arnold
0: Palmer. I'm the Arnold Palmer guy. And that's, and that's uh, there Eight. we
1: go. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, you know, you just can't predict these things because a couple of guys will get backstage and say, oh, you did more than I did. You go take the award. <laughs> so I turn around. It's like, what? Who? Nice. So, you know, there's that. So it's a little bit.
0: So, are those, I mean, it's like an award show. Every bit as nerve wracking as a broadcast. Because no. in my mind, yeah, I would say it's people, you know, it's not being
1: televised. Yeah. So everyone's a little loosened up. Well, that's part of the fun of a broadcast, particularly. (laughs) Loosened up is one way of saying it. Right, right. (laughs) There's a certain amount of that. You know, you're among friends, everybody knows what you're talking about. It's. Awards banquets are like, you know. High school graduation or sure. a wedding, you know, if you want to get married, just go down and talk to the judge. You're married. But if you right. want to throw a party and you want to have all the bells and whistles. Neither of us will ever know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> go on. Uh, you've never been before a judge, huh? <laughs> Not for I a wedding. I didn't say that. <laughs> 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 no, it's, you know, it's that funny mix. You know, you want to you want to be, um, you want everybody to have a great time. You want everybody to feel respected. Um, but you know it's three and a half hours long. I mean, you right. want to you want to have some fun with it too, right. and that can be a little bit difficult sometimes. Humor is is hard. I mean, I I tried to have no. some fun with the James French <laughs> Chris Cumming thing last night, and I. I think I went one reference too far on that. <laughs> I'm <but> pretty <laughs> sure I would disagree if I'd seen it. But okay. Because <laughs>
0: uh, I, 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 I would say humor is not difficult. Humor that's acceptable is difficult. That's, that's so exactly right. That, well, that's there that's you go. Uh, yeah.
1: And you don't want to leave out part of your audience. Yeah. And a lot of those folks are you know, spouses and significant others sure. that just sit across from somebody for whom racing or the automobile business generally or the television business yeah is you know day to day all day every day and so you're probably wondering what they're mumbling about most of the time so right. you got to kind of include them which is what i tried to do with the james french chris coming qualifying thing sure. and um yeah you get what you get <laughs>
0: did you see the uh, timing did, and scoring i did
2: i'll let you because that was Cause y- your creation <laughs> I was right you proud i'm not going of 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 to take uh, for well,
0: how do you pronounce the middle guy's name is it me? May? Is it is me? May. Yeah. So th- on the timing, um, you may have seen this when you were doing it, but uh, James French and Connor Daly were racing together during Petite. Uh uh-huh. And what's me's first name? I don't Jerome. 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 Yeah. So Jerome me. But literally, their their handle on timing and scoring was French me Daly. <laughs> and I'm looking at it, <laughs> just wondering like, how is, how am I the only right, one noticing possible. this? Right. Yeah. So
1: yeah. Who scripted that? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But
0: um, uh, so so <laughs> for for those who go to the banquet, um, I'm I'm not really a party guy because yeah. I'm socially awkward by nature. But but uh, it's synonymous, you know, with a lot of racing folks, i all go out and do a late night. You don't strike me as a guy who's going to be out till four in the morning. You know, having your fun
1: there Maybe was you a are. time when i probably would have sure. but uh not in this particular instance i was there with my wife for one thing since we live in atlanta and, and she came along thank you now
0: you Can live in uh so you've never really been here right because i don't know atlanta the way you would ryan but but you live in midtown
1: yeah i live in midtown which near a, in a place called atlantic station which is a big you know multi-purpose complex in the current style and i live in a high-rise condo oh nice so does it yeah. when oh, you're okay.
2: when you're driving into the city from, from the north going south, it's the first, like, tall buildings on the right right, as opposed to the main downtown on the left.
1: And have you been here for a while? 43 years. Holy
0: shit. That's a while. So it gets to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, like, I'm not an Atlanta local, but certainly yeah. I've come through, you know, with, with years oh, of Oh, everybody and does. And uh, <laughs> uh, it seems to me like it's like the fourth ward where we're at right now mm-hmm. yep. has changed significantly oh from, yeah. from over the last yeah. few years.
1: How have you seen... Atlanta girl. I came here in 1973 right out of college to go to law school at Emory yeah. thinking that was going to be my future and Atlanta had this boomtown reputation but sure. you know that was less than a decade after the, uh, the the tough times of the civil rights era and Atlanta was still a very kind of a polarized town in a lot of ways. A lot of white flight into the suburban communities. Everybody wanted to live in places like Alpharetta and Roswell right. sure. and so on. Um, meanwhile the black middle class was was rising and they all sort of began developing the south side so atlanta was you, know, you were a north side or a south side or based mainly on race um there was very little in the way of downtown things to do restaurants and that sort of thing and that has come full circle at least i think yeah, uh, absolutely. these days young people are coming back in town a lot of these high-rise condo buildings are being built um there's a vibe there's more clubs more nice restaurants more things to do certainly the um uh, you know the sports teams have had their ups and downs <laughs> but there's been more ups than downs sure. recently so sure. yeah it's it's uh it's got a much better vibe I think over the years right
0: and now our good buddy Andy Lally is from Long Island you're mm-hmm. from Long Island I believe you guys right. are from the same city even right Northport yeah. yeah. same, same hometown same high school um, mm-hmm. yeah. when you know Lally there's only like a few key words <laughs> that kind of give up the fact that he's a Long Island guy but you go to Long Island, and it's a whole different uh, lally that comes out. Oh, absolutely. From him. I'm sure. And if I were to talk to you, I would have no idea. Is there a slip ever? Like, do you ever put out the cable? Oh, yeah.
1: You know, it's kind of your environment. My, my wife likes to tease me. When we go up north, my mom is now 95, still lives in a second-floor walk-up in my hometown. <laughs> and when we go up there to visit her and my sisters, my wife says I, I change. I come out the... Hertz rental car at LaGuardia Airport <laughs> and get into that traffic <laughs> and I become a New Yorker again man forget right. about it I'm out there on the road I'm <laughs> cutting people off that's I'm not s- using my <laughs> signal that's for sissies <laughs> sleeves just
2: get blown off your shirt right <laughs> away right. yeah
1: I went. uh when I was about I don't know 13 14 years old I went to visit cousins out in California yeah had a nice time came back home went to college and found myself out in California on a on a springtime trip with the glee club and spent some okay, more time. That's okay, that's our next question. Okay, but go on. <laughs> yeah, um, and the, and one of the things my cousin said to me when they saw me again, you know, five six years later, was you lost your accent. <laughs> and I thought, what accent? I don't have any accent. Sure. Oh, that's awesome. Right? But I'm sure back in the day, you know, I talked like a kid from the island. Exactly. So sure. And uh, and I don't know how or, or whether I lost it, but apparently I have. Right. as you're by from Atlanta. Big part. Is your wife from, from originally um, Jackson, Mississippi? Oh, but she went to high school here, lived here ever since. Sure. So yeah, she's a southerner. So she, but she doesn't have a southern accent. Right. So you say. Well, yeah. <laughs> of course, For we are here. in Atlanta. You know, yeah, this exactly. is this is not the South. This is <laughs> Atlanta. <laughs> right. That's correct. That's, That's a correct. fair point. So, Glee Club. Yeah. <laughs> in high school or when in high school, did I sang. Yeah. Okay. I uh, come from a slightly musical family. My sister is a very fine actress. Um, And so I got involved in that kind of stuff. I was in the band and the chorus and the orchestra Nice. well was my running career. Yeah, yeah, a lot of chicks in the band. (laughs) 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 Um, And I just, you know, I went to, when I went to Dartmouth College up in Hanover, New Hampshire, it was all male. Right. And uh, the Glee Club sounded like a cool thing to do, so I did that. And, uh, well, I actually had an ulterior motive because when I got there, it was there sesquicentennial 250th anniversary, and so wow. the Glee Club was a part of this big multimedia show that was going to travel the country during spring break right. to raise money, as colleges inevitably do. And it was great fun. And we went to all these wonderful cities and met all these great people. And I rented a motorcycle in San Francisco and became sort of a you Demi were the cool guy at the Glee Club. You were the Glee Club badass. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, absolutely. That's what no they <laughs> helmet, just <laughs> flying down the road. Almost got. Blown off the highway when you pass the San Francisco airport with Just the jets back right up to the runway. Nice. <laughs> <came up. laughs> Reckless um, Robert of the Glee Club. Yeah, right? but yeah. I only did that one year because uh-huh. they, they weren't doing a tour the next year, and, <laughs> and things got busier. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I used to sing.
0: So the, the, the common theme I'm hearing is performance. You know, even even legal, you know, if, if you're a trial lawyer, there's a hell of a uh, performance element to that. What you're oh, doing, sure. what you're doing, obviously, with broadcasting. Absolutely. Is that kind of have you always been the guy who's in a show or doing a doing a thing on stage?
1: Uh, I was always kind of a you know member of the chorus in the show. I wasn't any kind of a star. I actually went to high school two years ahead of me in my older sister's class was a woman named Patty LaPone, who was a multi-time Tony Award winner, big Broadway star right now. Um, if you know anything about Broadway musical theater, you know who Patti Lapone is. And she was in high school with me, and she was always the star. Nice. Yeah. We did South you guys ever, Have you guys ever met really up to
0: argue who's more famous now? You know, I
1: would love to, but uh, <laughs> no. and There's no <laughs> question. I'd, be, I'd you. be punching above my weight in that argument. <laughs> yeah, so like, where's <laughs> your Peabody? She's like a, a superstar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, it's funny the people you meet as you go through life. Sure. See, so you were, like, a pretty accomplished
2: runner, Mm-hmm. When did that start? When did you pick up the running thing? Because um, running wasn't that popular. When I found out
1: after yeah. football, basketball, and baseball that I couldn't do anything else. So I went <laughs> out for the track team. <laughs> and I was that originally going to be able. I wanted to be a jumper. I didn't want to train too hard. So I thought. Hey, jumping, how hard can it I be? I want
2: the jacket. I don't want to have to put all the work <laughs> exactly. into it. Exactly, yeah. right. Yeah. You
1: go out there and jump eh. over a bar. And you were made for the media. <laughs> 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 right. Well, and uh, it turns out I wasn't very good at that either. But uh, I blundered into a race one day. You know, it was high school track. What the heck? You know, I should jump in this race. So I got in the race, and it turns out I was pretty good at it. So, you know, positive reinforcement. You get a little of that, and you try a little harder, and you get some more results And the Process continues, and and by the end of high school, if I may say so, I was pretty accomplished runner. Went to college, ran you know three seasons of cross country, indoor and outdoor track, um, and made all Ivy. And figured at the end of college that that was going to be the end of that. But I happened to move to Atlanta, and here's one of those strange coincidences of life again. I I fell in with a bunch of guys here who were about my age, and we're all training. And I thought, well, what the heck? I'll just keep doing it. Right. Right. And, and through was that at Emory, that yeah, uh, yeah I was yeah. at Emory, living in the neighborhood, and I fell in with a bunch of guys from the Atlanta Track Club. Okay, and uh, including uh, an old high school buddy who came down, and we shared an apartment because he was in architecture school over at Georgia Tech. And so we ran, and you know, drank beer, and had a great old time. And um, I wound up going to the Olympic Trials in 1976. I had matured. I hadn't trained myself into you know a broken down Hulk through high school and college. Um, so I still had something to, to show for it and um, had a great trials in 76, just missed the Montreal games team. Jeez. Did less well in 1980, uh, In the uh, but it wouldn't have mattered anyway. That was the Moscow games that nobody went to sure. from the United States. Um, and so I w- became, you know, pretty well known in the Atlanta running scene, became the first executive director of the Atlanta track club, which was booming at that time. This is the late 70s. Jim right. Fix had just written, you know, one of the, First books about running your way to perfect health and died at 44 or whatever (laughs) it was. (laughs) Um, Great book. uh, No fault of his own. (laughs) Um, And and so I organized this event, our biggest event. We do a million events all year round, but the big one is every July 4th, the Peachtree Road Race. Mm -hmm. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution Peachtree Road Race. Really big deal here. I'll take your word for it. We get 65,000 people running down Peachtree Street on a hot, humid 4th of July morning. Sounds oh. so
0: fun. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. right. In fact, well, uh, it's,
1: it's uh, the stories I could tell you about that. When I was the executive director, you know, about a, a guy who had died and was going to be buried in his Peachtree Road Race T-shirt, and uh, after we have to close it off for the, the applications for safety reasons, I would get guys trying to cheat their way in. You know, one guy tried to pencil okay. in a, a stamp on his envelope with his entry form and his check in it to try to convince me that he actually did mail it before the deadline. <laughs> and I, I wow. looked at it, and I <coughs> took a you know an eraser to it, and the whole thing just <laughs> smeared. Couldn't, couldn't like he
0: just show up and sneak under a
1: barrier and run with everybody, or is it you got to have he the couldn't. bid? But yeah. You know, but for <laughs> legal reasons and liability and all that kind of stuff, we have to be meticulous. Oh, I understand
0: that.
2: But so anyway. <laughs> Uh, um, I've never wanted to exercise that bad <laughs> to cheat my way into it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, so you're gonna, it's going to be humid. I would have gone the other way. Exactly. You know, like, <laughs> hey guys, look how fast I ran. I wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> now you see,
1: you you're the guy who gives race drivers a bad name because you hear all these sports commentators. Yeah, there's saying plenty of reasons, by the way, for that. That, <laughs> <laughs> that has nothing to do with running. Well, I'm Racing looking forward drivers, to a new side of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're not an athlete if I do it sitting down. <laughs> right. <You> know, right. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I, I I sort of rotated out of that job because I thought I was going to be a big time attorney and. And um, lo and behold, I get a phone call from Turner Broadcasting. They wanted to, to shoot the race live. They wanted yes. to do a Fourth of July thing. And somehow they got my name as a guy who who knew all about the race. So I did the job uh, with a veteran Atlanta sportscaster named Bob Neal who showed up in the typical announcer garb with the blue blazer and the razor-sharp haircut and gray flannel slacks. And I was there in my... Is that where you
0: got the hair thing from? Was uh
1: Yeah, probably a reaction there, too. Okay. I, I'm still trying to piss off my late father, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and on. now my son has long hair, and I can't say a single yep, word you're about it. the right, price. Right, so <laughs> I show up in my windowpane plaid three-piece suit with <laughs> hair down to my <laughs> shoulders and this really bad <laughs> Jeff Gordon-style mustache. Is, does a photo of this exist, by the way? I yeah. certainly if it doesn't. Hope not. We're going to find it. I so. didn't know there was a mustache involved. I'm oh, excited I in so about error. this. I long hair, start. mustache. The ladies wow. didn't stand a chance. I live in yeah. fear that some of these pictures are going <laughs> to turn up someday. But I figure it's like the early Super Bowl, you know, that all the network shot and nobody kept any videotape of. There is no broadcast. We have resources. We have <laughs> ways. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, go well, on. hopefully, you know, my Peachtree Road Race broadcast is somewhere with Super Bowl one and two because they <laughs> <Right>. no longer <laughs> 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 exist. Right. Uh, so I did it, and, you know, we shook hands, and I said, great, and went off to my life. And about six weeks later, I got a call from Turner asking me if I wanted to audition for a part-time job in news. Hmm. Well, I could see that. Though. Well, I thought it was news, so yeah. I picture myself as an ex-Walter Cronkite. Of course, And what I wind up doing is the what were called news watches, which are like three little 10-second headlines that you read in the commercial breaks of the late movies between 12.30 and 3 o'clock in the morning. Yes, you so so were that guy. me in this cavernous dark studio and one guy falling asleep in master control. <laughs> and I'm grabbing wire copy and I'm putting yeah. together. First night at work is Halloween night. Ah. Okay. Whatever it it. was, 1980, I guess. Right. And so uh, I saw this story about this this kid who had dressed up as a soldier in combat and had gone to the door of a veteran of Vietnam who was obviously Wow. Not impressed. PTSD. Yeah. Right. And this guy shot shot the kid. Wow. Okay. Fortunately, didn't didn't kill the kid. But, uh, you know, I thought this was a, a gripping story. Yeah. Next day, I get a phone call from the uh, execs at Turner saying, don't do a story like that. Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this on, is how right. we learn. Yeah. yeah. There were also three very attractive women in the department and then me. So a lot of those nights I sat up late and took phone calls from, sure. you know, elderly cattle ranchers and business executives wanting to know where gwen or maryland <laughs> or whatever and would i would i would i write down a marriage proposal that i could leave in their mailbox for the next day that kind of thing
0: that's apparently a real problem by the way it's like local news girls getting stalked really because apparently oh. it's one of the most relatable professions sure because you're pretty you're you're interacting every day delivering and You look news. like you're concerned yeah exactly
1: <laughs> well we know you're not <laughs> and we know you haven't read your copy before you got on there which is why you get to the end of a sentence before <laughs> you see the period <laughs> waiting for the next thing to scroll right Right. and that's you know that applies to the guys as well as the girls so anyway I did that for a while yeah. and then they s- CNN the Turner Empire was just yeah. blossoming at that time so I went to CNN Radio for a while which was another great learning experience and then to CNN's uh, CNN 2 as it was called then now HLN um, and switched from news to sports because sports looked like a lot more fun And How so I've it's awesome Long story sure. short, yeah. I find myself in a department with, among others, Keith Olbermann, <laughs> Dan Patrick, wow. Kathleen Sullivan, and the list goes on and on and on. And this on. is I mean, early 80s, so yeah, no one is very anybody Very early in their point. careers, yeah, right, right, just right. having a great time. Nobody knows what the hell they're doing. Uh, but the, the department head was a guy named Bill McPhail, who comes from a legendary American sports family. His brothers ran baseball teams and president of the American League. And Bill was one of these guys who had been at every athletic event on the planet worked for cbs for a long time and right he was just a great great boss such a good boss that he was the guy who fired me and made me feel good about it because <laughs> he could do that <laughs> you know he could he could come in and say look you're sure. not going to work here anymore but you're really good at this you can do this if you need a recommendation and on and on and on and so you know going to lunch with bill became sort of a euphemism for you're out of here dude right this and uh, the, it's, and that it's befell you, me. It's me yeah right okay. Um, but that was cool because while I was there at CNN for about four years, I got to know the guys at a company called World Sports Enterprises, right. which was founded by Ken Reins- um, Fred Reinstein and Ken Squire. Ken
3: Squire, right.
1: And they decided they wanted to put this program on the air called Motor Week Illustrated, the first motorsports anthology show with Dave Despain and a whole bunch of other names you'd recognize <laughs> now. But they, they would shoot the show as a donut. They'd shoot the show on Wednesday with all the highlights of the previous weekend action. Yeah and use features and whatever they want, but they would always leave a hole in the middle because the show would air on Saturday night, and you, so you had have to include the breaking, right, yeah. whatever had just happened that weekend. So they needed a guy on the inside, and I auditioned for that job, and I actually beat out Brad Nessler for that job. If you know that name. Brad's Can't a big star with ESPN doing football and basketball. Okay. Huh. Yeah. So they needed somebody guy.
0: who was quick on their feet, the ability to improv,
1: and just sort of go with. Here's what's well, going on right now. Yeah, and yeah. I think that had the advantage I <laughs> had over Brad is that I was working at Turner at the time. Yeah, Brad was sure. sort of a freelancer. I was so working. You a there. known entity. So I did it, and I got to know those guys. And so when I got FIFO'd at CNN, I went across the street to uh, to the guys at Motor Week Illustrated and said, "Is there a full time gig here?" And they said, "Yeah, come on." <coughs> working out of a trailer in the parking lot at Turner Broadcasting. Nice. So uh, off we went. Did you have pressure from your parents to
2: go the lawyer route, or was that something you came up with on your no, own? No,
1: that was something I pretty much decided I wanted to do. Those were the Vietnam years, and so I'm trying to figure out. My draft number was four. <laughs> you guys are probably too young to remember. But we're I know what it is. Okay. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wrote about it on Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I missed out on the uh, – But we had about a $400 bonus pool in the dormitory. Everybody threw in five bucks when they held the drawing because we were all about the same age. And yeah. the low man was going to get all the money, and I missed by one. Huh. So that was kind of the – story my life um, so anyway I, I looked at didn't want to go to vet school didn't want to go to business school you know what am i going to do sure uh so i took the the, the law sats so so basically well if it. you had a
0: secondary school you still managed to not so like going to law school or medical mm-hmm. school that secondary school would keep you out
1: of uh yeah drive. i was the last class to get a student deferment. it okay yeah because my my
2: question or my interest is that you went from a law degree mm-hmm. to, to practicing to then completely switching careers yeah. to commentary. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people spend so much time focusing on what yeah. that career is going to be that you then basically just changed. Yeah. You know, with no formal background. In yeah. It. And
1: that was hard on my dad because he right. really liked the idea of me being a lawyer. Sure. His um, dads and moms will tend to do. Um, not relate. But the, the <laughs> TV. Can't relate at all. The TV gig was. Uh, have you got one of those in your background?
0: Uh, no, no, I don't have any lawyers in my family, but when I originally went to UCLA, uh-huh. it was to become a lawyer. Uh-huh. I was like, you know, I can work in TV, Mom. And yeah, don't you know, be an and idiot. It, and then you do the internships, and you're working for free, and you have right. to sort of just like, no, it's good experience. Like networking, and, you know, I'm networking. I'm going somewhere thing. with this, Mom. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I went through I
1: that talking. same experience with my dad, and yeah. forever it was like, geez, do you think he'll ever go back to the law? And I said, no. Yeah. Um, and then uh, finally... You know, it, you, you advanced to a certain point in your career, and pretty soon my dad's friends are calling and saying, Hey, I saw your, your son Bob on the show the other day. So now he's just yeah, it changes everything. Hell. It's right. amazing oh, how all of a my son, the TV guy. Yeah, right. yeah. I remember right. the first
0: time my name showed up on the credits of Crossing Jordan on NBC. <laughs> uh-huh. And the whole world changed
3: as far as, like, how supportive it had all been up until then. So <laughs> right. I can understand that. He's this, a star. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, so for a while I tried doing law and the TV thing while that was developing. Yeah. Um, but finally, I just you know, had to make a decision, yeah. for a lot of different reasons, and I did. I decided to go with the TV thing, and it was you know purely a matter of me being in the right place at the right sure. time, sure um, you know to get in at Turner, which was a non union shop, so I right. could do everything and learn everything, editing and writing, and how to use the news wires and Know, how to sit in front of the camera and where to put the microphone and all that kind of stuff. How to dress, how to groom yourself, which obviously I forgot. <laughs> um,
0: Again, <laughs> can't. Well, that may be a lie. I we got can fired you're about say, you're, you know. you're the most professional
1: on this group. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> so uh, you know, I, I went across the street to Turner and, I mean, to uh, to World Sports, and it was another one of those deals. Say, okay, you're going to work on the show, and we're going to send you out to the various Camel GT races where you're going to do video. Um, news reports right. on what happens. Basically, we'd go there. R.J. Reynolds would pay me. Yeah, I'd go out. I'd you know shoot parts of the race, interview everybody afterwards, compile short feature, medium feature, long feature, voice them myself, send a script, uplink the packages, right. which they could either use with my voice or without. It was just a way to to put the series in front of sports directors around the country.
0: And I'm I'm guessing at this point you you go into this not really having been a, a devout car guy or, or a
1: huge race fan yeah, or anything didn't have like a finished that finished idea what I was looking at for right. a long time. No, but I understand that. But you yeah, know that was part of the challenge and the fun right. was to right. learn it. And the you know the folks that I was working with were great. Um, you know the drivers were all a lot of fun. Uh, learned a lot. Right. Uh, and this and is Camel GT in the late eighties. In the late eighties, yeah. right. It's you know, the actually
2: the mid eighties. You know. Right, and it's at its peak. So right. but there's, but there's a lot a of buzz going behind it. Right. So it's yeah. not and like and it's and
1: pretty soon I'm talking to guys like, you know, A. J. Foyt and Al Enzer Senior and Tom Pompelli. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah, very <laughs> possibly. Uh, yep. they were gone. David Hobbs and Derek Bell yep. and you know, and Moss and all these guys. So it was it was fun as i began to realize who they are and get a sense of the history of the sport and, and what was going on and how the races work and all the dynamics and along the way i met a bunch of guys from a small company called espn part who of said, it part of it yeah 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 i don't know whatever happened to them but <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> eight they said, channel, eight channels now are you going to be at all these <laughs> races and i said well yeah that's kind of the plan for right now and they said right. well how'd you like to host our shows i said okay and so I became a host. And, and, and that's another example of just sort of being in the right place at the right sure. time. And whenever, hey, you want to do this? Sure, want to do that? Uh, I left World Sports in 1990, I guess, and became right. a full-time freelancer with ESPN. And pretty soon I was doing figure skating and, and roller disco fishing and, and <laughs> water ski jumping. And I was always the guy. Uh, I mean, I, one year I did 200 shows. I mean, it would wow. do like six a weekend. Yeah. It was crazy.
0: Well, Now, here's, here's the thing. So it's like racing you didn't know anything about. Now, you wouldn't know this about me, and I think, Ryan, you would. I, I actually, beyond my love of motorsports, figure skating is a legitimate love of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to skate and the whole thing. So I would watch, you know, world championship skating in the mm-hmm. mid-'90s, and, and, you know, here I am, this guy who's, you know, watching F1 when I can at 4 in the morning in San Francisco, and, and Bob Varsha's is on the air doing that, and then all of a sudden the same... Is, is, <laughs> right. is, you know, uh, covering uh, uh, Liu like yeah. Chen winning the right. world championships in right. 1995. And, and I'm guessing, like, you kind of have no idea who these people are or what the hell they're doing. But maybe you did. I have no idea. But well, you sounded like you did, and that was the amazing right. part to me.
1: You have so. to achieve that, that certain modicum of knowledgeability, so you can sure. give it some credibility. But to be honest, what I do as a host, and the same thing that Al Michaels does and the same thing Jim Nance does and the same thing all of the guys who do what I do do, is that my skills and what I bring to the broadcast really doesn't change from sport to sport. I don't have to know if, you know, was that a Lutz or an Axel or, you know, that kind of stuff. In fact, you could just
0: name those two jumps. I don't think you could. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Well, it depends on which
1: direction you're going which edge of the skate you come off and which one you land on. Toe pick and the whole thing. You know, sooner or later, some of it just goes in by osmosis, I guess. But if I'm working with great color commentators next to me, usually sure. ex-athletes, people who really know is that right. good, bad, or indifferent, right. then we're good. And I can just post questions from time to time. And as I learn things, I can add a little bit of, yeah. of expertise. Well, it seems like
0: you, you're really good at picking up what are the little <coughs> kind of uh, unique items of each athlete, to sort of you know give a couple little factoids on you know, Andy Lally's from here, or, or yeah. Michelle Kwan did this, or whatever it well, is. Well, that's you know. what
1: I learned early on from Ken Squire, was people are not going to invest themselves in a broadcast, no matter what the sport is unless they know enough about the key players about the the, the people in the drama sure um enough to care about what happens to them whether they win or lose or you know all that sort of thing so that became sort of my area of expertise if you will looking for those sorts of elements that that fill out a profile of a of an athlete that you're watching right um and and it's just been great fun you know going back to the law thing you know people say well do you you feel sorry you invested all that time in law school and I say not at all because, you know, the things I learned in law school about properly researching and presenting a case, no matter what it might happen to be, is advocacy. And that's what storytelling sure. is, is right. advocacy. Here's the arc of what's going on out there. You know, here's who this person is, how they got here, why it's important that they do well, or, yeah. you know, what, what the, how bad it is if they do poorly. What was the legal route you were going down, by the way? The legal rat? yeah, that like was what, a what? corporate litigator. Oh wow, yeah, the best kind. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. long, long cases. Right, and rooms full of discovery documents and yeah. what have you. And, you know, I can't really say, you know, I, I would have been the next F. Lee Bailey or something. Sure. I was probably a pretty crummy lawyer when you get <laughs> right down to it. <laughs> yeah, you know, but who yeah. knew when you're buried in, you know, legalese. <laughs> yeah, in a thousand pages yeah. of discovery on yeah. whatever. doesn't so. mean I wouldn't be doing it if the TV thing yes. hadn't come along. And sure, it's certainly an honorable profession for the right people. But, yeah. you know, there's a lot of schmucks out there, too. Sure. sure. And
0: well, uh, and when this Fox Sports thing fizzles out, you've always got some default back. Yeah, right. On, so. I can right. always go take the <laughs> bar
1: exam again and get back <laughs> out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. you ever seen Better Call Saul?
1: Oh, yeah. It's an amazing yeah, my show. my wife and I watch it all the time. Yeah, I like Bob Odenkirk a lot. Yeah. It's it's weird. Well, we started with Breaking Bad, and then yep. got into sure. Better Call Saul, yep. right? Yep. Yep. As just about everybody on the planet did, apparently.
0: But so, as a, as a former lawyer, do you ever look at, like, what, uh, uh, at this point in the story, Jimmy McGill, mm-hmm. do you ever look at his character and kind of kind of wins like, oh, God, a couple wrong steps, I could have been this guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, which causes you to sit and speculate, you know, how do you get there it's it's that same process of investing in a personality in a character you know in drama we do it all the time but you know in sports we don't think we actually do it but but we do sure no and and even if it's somebody you don't know much about if you don't know the sport well but my wife doesn't like to watch tv with me very much sure because i tend to sit there and nitpick (laughs) no wait a minute (laughs) no that's that's not what a lawyer would do (laughs) no he wouldn't do that (laughs) you know it's like shut up but uh, but anyway, I, yeah, for a while at ESPN, I was sort of the guy, whenever there was a big event on another network, yeah. you know, the Final Four, the Super Bowl, the World Series, you know, whatever it might happen to be, if you had switched over to ESPN, which didn't have the rights to any of those series back yeah. in the day, you'd find me doing something for the lady of the house, uh, gymnastics, nice. uh, figure yeah. skating, yeah. you know, yeah. stuff, you know. Women's sport of figure skating, Or the Sean yeah. of the house. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you this, you know, I, I loved meeting the athletes along the way and all their variety, and the figure skaters were some.
0: There's some tough people. Tough, yeah, hard yeah. party people. Right mm mm-hmm. so <laughs> uh, No, absolutely. Yeah, the uh, the, the athleticism in a lot of yeah. the jumps and, and the core strengthening for some of the spins. Well, yeah, especially in pairs so, where, yeah. you know, in,
1: in dance, the guy's not allowed to lift the girl over yep. his head. In yep. pairs, you're expected to. Yep. So the women are always petite and the yep. men are always big hulking guys, and they're usually ex-hockey players. Yep, yep. And I those will guys say though, are tough. Uh,
0: in, in <coughs> uh, uh, based on my, my, my limited run and doing any sort of duo skating, uh, my biggest falls came in ice dance. Believe it or not, because you no, know, no. If you're if you're a guy who has any, who has a, s- a certain element of not, not being afraid to fall or get hurt or mm-hmm. whatever, jumps actually aren't that big of a deal. Holding somebody up is not that big of a deal because you fall, you get up, life yeah. goes on. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, when you go into a jump, you know that fall could come, mm-hmm. so you're sort of ready for. So okay, so if I get the edge wrong or I under rotate, I'm gonna fall. I'm gonna just gonna you know let my right. my shoulder drop. And Nothing am gonna, gonna happen. That's that. <laughs> but when you fall. Ice dancing. So, Ryan, you wouldn't have this, but ice dancing is very much, uh, it's, you ever watch Dancing with the Stars? Yeah. Um, it's basically a very similar style of ice skating, but on ice. And so, you know, there's, there's kind of preset moves you have to do, and there's sort of patterns you have to do that. It, but in that whole process, you're never expecting that you're going to fall. So when you do, you hit hard because you had absolutely no idea that, that you were going down. I swear, my, my biggest falls were, were an ice dance.
2: My uh, second cousin medaled in the Olympics for ice skating, Paul Wiley. Oh, no
1: kidding. Really? Yeah. I, yeah.
2: People used to think I looked <coughs> like him when I was a little thinner and a little younger. Right. So,
1: yeah. He was so a yeah. guy from Harvard, right? Yeah, I think I so. actually yep. worked yeah. with him. No on way. Some, yeah, that's right, because he did, did commentary. We, I did yeah. an open. I can remember doing the open because the uh, producer, a guy named Ralph Millay, thought it would be really cool. There was this um, dry fountain in this little town in New Jersey where yeah. Ralph Studios were. He said, well, let's go out there. Bob, you stand in the middle where the fountain you know, upspout okay. is. And, Paul, we're going to put you on roller skates, inline <laughs> skates. And so I'm standing in the middle opening the show, and Paul is you know, going around thing. me right, like right, the right, ball right. at the end of the string. <laughs> yeah. Right. Was, yeah,
0: he God, was, a, he was like 1992. He was the big surprise. Because yeah. he kind of came in. There were three men that went in 1992. It was Christopher Bowman, Todd Eldridge, mm-hmm. and Paul Wiley. Yeah, I actually know all this, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> and Christopher Bowman was the big Good hot skater. <laughs> and and uh, uh, he had... A lot of demons he had to chase and, and uh he showed up just completely fizzled out, Todd Eldridge fizzled out and this random kind of third guy they sent over mm-hmm. um, showed up out of nowhere. I beat League too. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh right, god. Right. And he was you know, he just barely missed out on winning. He got the silver and a lot of people thought he got screwed because right. he was literally of the men who went through in ninety two, the only one who didn't fall. Right. It's just he ran a more conservative program than, than the guy What who was the won. guy's name that
2: one? Victor Petrenko. Petrenko, that's right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. all we watched every single, you know, yeah that was everything a little nuance yeah. so,
0: victor yep yeah glad we finally got figure skating in our racing podcast <laughs> there you go
1: well, <laughs> and i can <laughs> say one of the highlights of my broadcast career was having done a show out in long beach california and sitting having drinks with katarina bit oh, oh well, yeah. that's there's more yeah. people to <laughs> have, have a drink this with this is so. right that's pretty good this is as good as it's it gets going all yeah. right <laughs> before you were married of course Maybe <laughs> <laughs> it was a conversation. It was a really good conversation. No, yeah, it was probably a very good time. I mean, it was just drinks. I mean. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. no, we understand.
0: <laughs> so, uh, but actually, that you know, the ability to be on site and and get to know the drivers, the skaters, the a- whatever the athlete mm-hmm. is at the time, or, or the people behind the scenes, the, the team owner, the engineer. Uh, but there's obviously between budgets and travel, there's you know, I assume there's an increasing shift towards doing your job remote oh absolutely and and i assume that's got to create a challenge in the sense that you're not there to really understand what the what the atmosphere is like it's
1: really challenging and people people well a lot of people to this day don't realize we're doing that yeah i I guess that's a good thing but we've been doing it since the early 90s when i was doing formula one for espn actually we actually got in trouble one year because executives found out we did not go to monaco what do you mean you didn't go to monaco I thought well well, did they make the (laughs) decision right Yeah. yeah we didn't go to you know south africa why would we not go to monaco right anyway the um a lot of the networks do it now it is the business model nbc i guess does a lot of the olympics from remote sure somebody told me espn is doing things like college basketball remotely oh yeah. wow. it's got to be really tough i would think, sure, unless yeah. you have a really big screen um but uh, yeah it's it's a different way to do television and it helps if you've actually been there you know we traveled so, yeah, the world sure. for a long time sure espn was i think the only network that went to all the races for years and years Um, So tracks like Silverstone and Monaco and and Monza and Spa-Francorchamps, I've been there. I know those tracks and I can speak to them. The more recent ones, like Shanghai and Malaysia, uh, my Australian Grand Prix was Adelaide, not, yeah, Melbourne, not sure. Melbourne. Sure, <coughs> so that is a little bit more difficult. And then there's, as you say, the human side of it. We can actually sit and talk to people, and you yeah. know, kind of react off of them and ask a follow up question. Yeah. Right, and they see that you're legit, you're here, right. that you're supporting the sport, you're not looking and under and rocks. And it gives you the for intel for beyond
0: right. a press release. Right, could, yeah, exactly.
1: Sure. Um, you know, you get better answers from people, and you get better information, and that leads to a better broadcast. But it's the business model we work with now, so you you do the best you can. Where were you in uh, Imola 94? Was in the basement in Bristol, Connecticut. Were. So mm-hmm. did you have any sense,
0: uh, for those who don't <coughs> know, we're, we're uh, Senna's accident. Right. Did you have any sense of how,
1: because there's a difference
0: between being at a track and hearing the quiet yeah. versus right. being in a booth. and
1: Well, you a know, sense. it goes back to having a good caller commentator with you, uh, and I had Derek Daly for that broadcast. Yeah. And Derek, like most racers, looked and said, not nope. Good. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah that's not good um and then you know we all eventually learned the, the horrible truth a lot of people tend to forget there was a whole lot more horrible truth that weekend yep. when ratzenberger yep. killed yeah. barry uh, uh, we, we almost lost it. ruben Barrichello yeah. after yeah. his huge accident uh we had a Spectators an accident at the start injured. pedro yeah. Lamy ran into the back, right. back of j.j leto right. and wheel went in the stands yeah. and hurt some people and then michelle Alberetto plowed into some of his mechanics in the pit lane yep. during oh, a stop right. it was it just huh. terrible weekend let's go home yeah Right. In fact, at ESPN, Chris Fowler, who's now a big star there doing um, game day for college football, well, two stories. Uh, one, we met a very big time sports center anchor who came in. And one of the beauties of being in Bristol was that we had all of the news gathering capabilities. It was better than being at the racetrack, frankly, because they, sure. they were sort of on lockdown, and they weren't learning anything. But we had you know, this worldwide collection of satellite feeds sure. and whatnot. So one of their announcers uh, came in to start his day doing football, and looks around and sees all these racing th- shots and yeah. Senna and ambulances and all that kind of stuff and says, What's going on? And Derek Daly says he told him, Well, this you know, really famous race driver was killed in an accident in Europe and and the anchor looked at him and said, Yeah, who cares?
0: Huh. Oh wow, to Derek story. Daly. Yes, that right. But wow.
1: right. well, we actually hang around because hung around because the guys they wanted us to come on Sports Center and explain, you know, yeah. what a huge blow this was what a big star senna was and as i was leaving the studio i ran into chris fowler who said um you want to go to lunch i said okay he said i want to ask you you know how you prepare to talk about a fatality happening on live television right in front of you Um, so we did that and i hope chris remembers that story Whatever it was, I told him. But uh, the truth is, you do prepare. You know, yeah. you prepare for that eventuality. What am I going to say if it happens?
2: We actually wanted to talk about that, um, or uh, more to know if like you had any sort of training for that sort of situation. Because Sean and I, from time to time, Sean's done it every year, but every now and then I'll help out with the Magnus webcast that they do at the twenty-four hour, and w- and it gets somewhere. Probably have no idea what that is. Well, basically, <laughs> no. for people that are more listening that don't, uh, yeah. Magnus Racing has a live. Webcast in their pit, pit yep. box. They bring in drivers and guests from other teams, mm-hmm. and uh, it broadcasts throughout the twenty four hour. And we generally get a pretty good. Yeah, we do okay yeah. for yeah. what, what it is. It's, it yeah. does really well. It's good. And more teams did that. We were uh, no, sitting. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> we were sitting next to each other when the Mimo Gidley. Uh,
1: yeah, had his crash. Ferrari with, crash yeah, with, with the DP
2: Maticelli, That's mm-hmm. right. And uh, the first thing we thought was like, wow, we've got. 20,000 people clicking into our room every five minutes. They're going to want information and we're at the track and so sure enough we started getting flooded with yeah, questions going on? Yeah. Going and on? we both basically like under the table we're like texting each other like we're just not going to say anything yeah. no speculation because that's the worst thing you can do well right. and
0: legally we can't as i right you know with yeah. conditions but but i mean that that's exactly the thing is is you know it, in the magnus webcast particular, like it's a jokey fun webcast we're not supposed to talk about serious things and now something very serious has happened yeah you know
1: is there such a thing as training for that or or i mean well preparation is one thing but one of the fascinating things about well, probably sports in general, but certainly race driving, because you know, as Hemingway said, there's only three true sports: motor racing, mountain climbing, and bullfighting.
0: I'm gonna take you to task on that, but go on. Okay, you think
1: Hemingway <laughs> didn't write it? Huh? I, one I, of his, one of his. Uh, we'll go on. Yeah. We'll, we'll, <laughs> let's finish. <it>. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Young folks think ESPN came up with that slogan. But <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, the point was, whoever made the statement was, you know, you got to have the chance of serious injury or even death. I mean, t- in Hemingway's eyes. That was what made it a real sport, and everything else was just a game that you win or lose. Um, and it's something that I was really curious about, along with the relationship between drivers and mechanics, the relationship of a driver, and the you know how you how you view the possibility that you could die in a racing car. And Fangio once said, you know, if a driver's afraid he's going to die in a car, then he shouldn't get into a car. Right. And um, there's a book called *The Cruel Sport* that was written around 1960 about one of those. Savage years when like eight guys died, Yeah, you know, it was every other week somebody was getting killed. And Phil Hill was quoted in that book as saying there's a driver out here who is not afraid or is crazy enough that he's not afraid of dying, that he will drive in such a way that you have to avoid him. You're either going to have to let him overtake you or you're going to crash. And he says, I think that's evil that somebody approaches the sport that way that, you know. Taking advantage of your absolute fear, right? Yeah. You know, yeah, forcing what, you to lift. Yeah. By yeah I don't care. What's hotel? the worst that could happen? What are you going to do? Kind of thing? Sure. It, it's a I, I kind of garbled that quote, but the, the, gist of it was: there's a guy here who says, you know, you're either going to, you're going to die or let me buy and, and it is evil. Yeah. So anyway, I had, I had read into a lot of what drivers had to say about that, and and arrived at some conclusions of my own, and, and I just dip into that background when, and hopefully I'd never have to. But, sure. Uh, I think there's been four or five occasions in races that I've covered where somebody has died. Worse than bad, sure. Yeah, I mean Jim Fitzgerald, Paul Newman's teammate in Trans Am in yeah, St. Pete. Good friend <coughs> of my dad's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a, a driver, and I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. In what was then the Firestone Firehawks at uh, Daytona one year. Uh, Corsenna and Ratzenberger and, and um, yeah, it's it's always it's always hard. Right. But it, sometimes it's it's even harder to get up in front of people who are of the view that you have to ban things you know the justin sure. wilson situation we've been to where somebody out there said okay we have to ban indy car racing you know. yeah but and and you
0: for you felt that it was a journalist <coughs> trying to make headlines
1: and right a little bit of clickbait. Sure. yeah right whoever saw this guy in a press room at a racetrack yeah exactly um yeah what do you what do you how do you deal with that you know in the, in the bad old days at indy um when people were saying you know this is crazy this is a, this is a death wish this is You know, it really isn't, but it it can be really hard to articulate why, you know. Drivers aren't defying death, they're celebrating life as they see it. Right, exactly. There's a great line, (coughs) a friend of mine and I do a lot of reading into uh, the the space program, Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, and Gus Grissom, who died in the Apollo 1 fire on the pad, was talking about another driver's death. Uh, no, he was talking about his own potential for death, and Cernan was quoting him as saying, you know, aviators are a different breed. We do not allow the fear of death to drive the way we live. If we die, please understand that, you know, it was just a consequence of what we were doing. And um, so that's the kind of thing I, I, I try to explore and be ready to explain with, you know, if worst comes to worst. Well, and on that level, your son raced for, yep. for several years. Is he still race, or has he kind of moved on? He's moved on. You right. Know. Right. My son, Matt... <coughs> um he made a very mature decision. I you know I think he was like hundreds and hundreds of kids out there a young guy with talent. Right. But you know we we ran out of money. We couldn't find any more and <coughs> he was around the sport long enough. He went through the barber programs and won a championship with them and did Pro Mazda and raced a couple times in GT cars at Daytona Got and other places. Tire tires well. Yeah, I raced against him in that. There. There. Yep. there you go. Um and he said, you know, Dad, I've, I've seen enough of this, and I've been around enough drivers to understand what the lifestyle is like. And yeah. spending the winter on the telephone trying to drum up a drive for the next year, he says, you know, I don't think I want to live that way. I don't want to do that. Sure, I understand. And I felt like, no, come on, we'll just we'll, we'll try it one <laughs> more season. <laughs> you know, that was, it, it was pretty cool watching him go around, right. I have to say. Um, especially because I think he was pretty good at it. But as I said, there's a lot of those kids who, who just need a chance. But it was his decision. And right. now he's, uh, he's living out in Jackson, Wyoming, doing what he really loves to do, which is skiing every day he <laughs> can. Oh, nice. Okay. <coughs> Despite breaking his leg twice. Um, and he's got a real estate license. So oh, cool. if anybody wants to buy a home in Jackson, Wyoming, look <laughs> up Matt, Matt Barsher. Really he's, he's your guy. Yeah. 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 I think it was uh, Jody Schechter had the quote uh, –
2: the best racing driver in the world somewhere on a tractor right now <laughs> because <laughs> the guy didn't make it, didn't get the yeah, shot, but right. probably had the talent. Oh, yeah, right that's and had true. Yeah,
1: Fernando Alonso said that after his first championship. You see, you know, I, I raced carts with 25 guys who could do this, yeah. but I got the chance or I was in the right place at the right time or you right. know, I did the most I could with the opportunity, and now here right. I am. Now yeah. Have
0: you ever tried to take to the wheel?
1: Um. Not in any formalized, aggressive way. I've, I've been to driving schools, which I recommend to everybody, whether you never get near a race car. Right. I think there's a, an awful lot of useful things to learn. In fact, I put my kids through as soon as they got their licenses, and my wife went through. My oh, My wife, cool. Karen. Okay. I am basically the third best driver in my family. <laughs> <laughs> my son, Matt's the best. My wife, Karen, is good, but she sure. suffers from vertigo. Oh. So she went out and, uh, to the... Um, school out at road atlanta one year and just kicked all the boys butts in the right. autocross and then we went to lunch and she threw up <laughs> <laughs> but within a couple of months of the test uh she was out on a rainy day and she came home and said uh, it worked yeah. you know, I, I did what i was supposed to do and, and that's really you know the, the
0: point of the whole has she about. become a fan
1: of the sport um that's a no she's a qualified fan of the sport if she has a reason to watch uh, she's become close friends with Carol Edwards, okay. mother of John Edwards, who yeah. races for the Team RLL and the yep. BMWs. And so they like to go to the races together, and you know, she wants to watch to see how John's doing. And, sure. and the other people that she's gotten to know, drivers she's gotten to know through hanging out with me. But, you know, when it comes to racetracks, you know, if I do wind up going to back to Monaco, she's in there. Oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah, she yeah. likes yeah. Monterey. I was going to say, everybody she likes Road America. To go to the yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know that you you there are other
2: places where she's yeah, not rushing I got off you. to. <laughs> <laughs> we raced at iowa once oh that, i forgot <laughs> about that. that was terrible <laughs> yeah uh,
1: anyway um yeah i ha- i have gotten in cars i've driven race cars i'm not a racer sure i understand that uh, i i was able to <laughs> figure that out right away although you know i didn't have the the racer's advantage of being the professional driver who knows if you wrecks the car he just walks away from it you know i'm I figure out how am I going to pay for this?
0: Right. Yeah, that's a few of us. <laughs> but I will say <laughs> it's
1: it's it's the best stress reliever in the world is is doing a track day. I mean, sure. if you're into cars at all, going out and driving around and you know and really focusing with the kind of uh, intensity that you need to is just is just really exhilarating. Right. A lot of fun.
0: How do you think the sport has changed um, from late '80s to now? I mean, obviously safety has taking strides, but uh, you know we seem to see a big, to me, a big cultural shift uh, way towards safety. Um, and, and there's a lot of differences now in how people view the relevance of technology and what they should be doing, but I don't know from somebody like you who's
2: been in it for as long as you have. I've seen the waves, you know, yeah. GTP where it was an arms race to, yeah. to back to nothing to split series.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's always kind of a bubbling cauldron. There's always issues that occasionally come to the fore. One is, you know, what's the role of the manufacturers in the series? Yeah. Um, expense, technology, how do, you, how do you achieve the balance? so that people can actually come in. It's like any sport, you, you need new blood all the time. You need, right. you need fresh people, and particularly in <coughs> sports cars, which forever has relied on enthusiasts with resources right. who want to go out and do it, and hopefully they have an appropriate amount of talent that they go out and not put themselves and others in danger. But you really do need guys who will come to the table and spend money on teams and equipment yep. and so forth. <coughs> you know, A solution to that might be to make the sport less expensive, but that probably means, and this is a terrible phrase to use, but dumbing down the technology sure. a little bit. Sure, yeah, I understand. Then you look at sports like Formula One, where they're running you know, these incredibly complex and expensive hybrids that nobody seems to like, <laughs> but the yeah. manufacturers seem to be insisting have to be at the core of the sport or they're not interested. They've got to maintain
0: the road relevance. Right, yeah. they
1: want the road relevancy. Yeah. So, um, you know, these are, these are tough issues to deal with. And I was sitting actually at the IMSA banquet last night thinking, you know, the job that Scott Atherton and his staff have to do in terms of manufacturer teams, pro-am driver lineups, you know, technology, how much is too much. Right. Um,
0: Now, like a professional journalist, you answered that question without actually answering it, which is awesome. (laughs) No, no, I give you credit. But I did it without Um. thinking, so. (laughs) (laughs) it's on autopilot Uh, right now. But, uh, and I'm not asking for an opinion, but do mm-hmm. you see rule change shifts or, or, or a culture and a sport kind of move towards this direction or a new formula coming out in a couple of years in whatever the series? And I'm not asking for opinions, but do you go, oh, that's dumb. You know, <laughs> in, in, the, in the back of your mind, you're never going to put it on Twitter. You're never going to say it pr- uh, to anybody on a, on a podcast. But well. do you have to have opinions on this.
1: Um... There are situations that I find difficult to understand sometimes. Um, you know, it, it's, it's easy to write off IndyCar, for example, sure. saying, well, you know, they lost their, their roots as America's Open Wheel National Championship, or, or maybe you don't like the cars, or maybe you don't like the fact that the whole economic spiral has reached a point where more guys are renting rides ride than buyers, previously, sure. And and make no mistake, buying a ride has always existed in motorsports absolutely you know from graham hill on forward i I don't think there's a single world champion who didn't get there without somebody writing a check absolutely (coughs) um but you know having said that i I, i'm not smart enough to to know what the answers are how do you recover what you've lost with the irl champ car split right Uh, you know that that's a problem out there that that uh, needs to be addressed and i'm sure people are trying but it's I tell you, one of the big problems faced by motorsports is finding its place in the landscape of the TV world these yeah, days. Entertainment. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This incredible yeah. array of distractions, you right. Know, right. other right. things you can go do. Um, how do you get young people on board? You know, right. all, the, all the gamers out there. Yeah. I think what Nissan's got going with their GT Academy is, absolutely. is pretty darn cool. Whether or not that's, that's borne fruit in terms of attracting more young sure. people... To, uh, to actually come to racetracks, you know, attendance is down everywhere, so if you know if people are fans, why, why aren't they right. coming out and filling up these places? Yeah. Ticket prices have a lot to do with that, I'm sure.
0: You know, on that sort of growth of Internet culture, Ryan, you and I haven't talked about this, but the Bob Varsha Twitter account <laughs> is one of my favorites because you really? are just matter of fact in how you answer people. There's no well, funny quips, no hashtags, no tagging other people inside. You just, somebody says, what do you think about this? And you go, no. <laughs> and, you know, right. and that's it. Like It's I just so straight and to the point, I just love that. Well, I've only got 140
1: characters. <laughs> that's right.
2: <laughs> I actually interacted with you once because I, n- I noticed sometimes you'll uh, you'll just put out like a, a stream of tweets, like maybe you haven't checked it in a while and uh-huh. you start going through and replying, and so it will be like one after the next yeah, for an yeah. hour and then quiet and then for, a, for a, week a week or something. Yeah. 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 And yep. uh, you were going on a, not a tangent necessarily, but you were just going down the ring, you know, like, okay, I'll answer this guy, this guy, and this guy. And yep. I had mm-hmm. a race the next morning. I think like Laguna or somewhere, somewhere I thought I had a chance to win. Like we had fastest in practice or something. I think it was just last year, and uh, I just said, "Hey Bob, do you think I can win tomorrow?" That was it. And then uh, like ten minutes after the race, she replied, "No, looks like no." <laughs> 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 and I like retweeted him like that's priceless. Uh, well, definitely. that's priceless.
1: Yeah, I I got myself in trouble back in the pre-Twitter days, and you know, when you'd go on forums, mm-hmm. the big thing was forums. Yep. Sure. So speed as it was known then, had a forum, and I'd go on there and, uh, and do just what you said. You know, I'd answer a million questions and then just stop for a while. Yeah. And I started getting flack because I, because I did that. You know? right. Somebody <laughs> was waiting for an answer, yeah. and I wasn't giving it to <laughs> them. Yep, yep. So I thought, well, geez, do I really want to do this? Um, I find Twitter fascinating because of that limitation. You know, it's got to yeah. be a short answer. Yeah. And, and I like that. Um, and I'll do the whole thing over again. I'll just, you know, lie in bed before I go to sleep at night and just... yeah. And I don't hashtag things because, frankly, I'm, I'm not yeah. going to go see what it, people it are saying about it. It's not going to you know? change your job anyway. <laughs> right. Right. You want you want okay. an answer? Here's my answer. Send. Right. So it's but it's great, and I, I, I appreciate the fact that people appreciate me responding to their tweets because you right. know if you're going to ask a question, you deserve an answer. And um, try to answer as many as I can, but obviously there's a limit. Well, sure. And I, I do get the guys coming back saying, will you stop answering all these questions? You're filling up my mailbox. And eh, <laughs> screw those guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't care about them. I, uh, I th- one thing I like
2: about Twitter versus other forms of social media where if somebody sends you a friend request, they f- automatically you're following each other, like on Facebook or mm-hmm. something like that. Or when you're doing the broadcast, they don't have a choice but to listen to you. So when someone follows you, that means that they actually want to hear what you have to say. specifically Mm -hmm. Um, so then when you do reply to those guys I know it it means a lot Mm -hmm. to a lot of fans especially someone that's seen so much of the different types of racing throughout your career I mean you got to call Senna versus Prost races and things like that so to a lot of people that means a lot yeah but yeah interaction I think is a really I mean this is interaction I think some people are going to be surprised when they see the list of that's what we're People looking for. People we have, to. they're like, oh, Bob Barshaw. Yeah. Yeah, and you still have no idea where this is going. <laughs> you just showed up, which I give you
0: a ton of credit for. Yeah. That's actually, there's there's no, really no way to respond to this, but i got to give you a lot of credit, because you and I don't really know each other. Uh-oh. And, and you know, I wrote you two year, year and a half ago to have your voice in a Magnus video. That's right. Yeah. I didn't tell you what it was for. <laughs> I didn't give you any context. I just said, I need you to read these lines. And your answer is, yeah, all right. And it's like, how is, what... This guy is willing to do this, you right. know, and then I was like, hey, you want to yeah. join Ryan and I for lunch? I'm like, yeah, fine. Like, it, it blows yeah. my mind that you're willing to do this with no, because you're, you're a respected professional.
1: I would argue maybe we're
0: not, <laughs> and, uh, and, and yet you could care less. Well, so you know,
1: it's I, I love what I do, and a big right. part of what I do is interacting with people. So, you know, as I like to say, we're all friends here. Sure. You know, even if that's not necessarily literally true, it's, you know, if people care enough to ask a question, I think they... They deserve an answer if I can give them one. Right. Um, you know, and you guys are a part of the same community. Sure. You know, so if I can. And the help rate out. we're
2: paying you is huge.
0: Yeah. That's so, right. I know. mean, who
1: could turn down this kind of money? Yeah. I
2: mean, that that sweet tea is proper. That yeah, unsweet tea is like <laughs> at least <laughs> two sweet dollars. <laughs> no, yeah. Sweet's more expensive. Yeah. If we had to put <laughs> <the> sugar, <laughs> in, it'd be another story. <laughs> that'd be over the budget.
1: Nah. It's all it's all part of this great big you know community um, of of racers and race fans and. And sports generally and and social media and all. I I just love it. My wife and I were talking last night after the banquet about, you know, where would we like to live if we're actually thinking of leaving Atlanta and trying someplace for a while?
0: If you're going to work in racing full time, not California. Let me (laughs) tell you firsthand. That is a lot of traveling. traveling. Uh, Well, it wears on.
1: I got to be within a reasonable distance of Charlotte because that's where our studios are. Sure. So look at places like uh, Asheville and. Charleston, before it sank it. beneath the waves this past year. <laughs> right. Well, um, now's the time to buy. Hubert, South Carolina. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you can have that mud hole over there. But I really feel for those folks. But um, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's time to stretch. But I just can't see myself ever, quote unquote, retiring. Yeah. I'd, I'd go nuts. Right. You know, right, I'm right. going to do this as long as I can because it's great fun. And I love the travel. And I love the people I get to deal with. I'd like to do more different sports again, Yeah, um, which is uh, an appeal I've done well, to we Los see Angeles a number of times. Now that we see motorsports
0: kind of, you know, mar- motorsports <coughs> has kind of gone back to being with larger networks, NBC Sports, mm-hmm. Fox Sports in mm-hmm. your case. Um, do you see that opportunity kind of burgeoning? Like you're starting to do the Barrett-Jackson stuff, which isn't really sport, um, but it's it's at least away from the track side stuff that mm-hmm. you're, you're used to doing. Uh is that, is that opportunity down the
1: road that you might be able to do more sports again? I wish I knew, okay. uh, but I don't. As I say, I've been trying for several years to, uh, you know, to flag down somebody who can say, yeah, go do a, a baseball game or a football sure. game or, a, you know, or gymnastics or you know, whatever. Um, just because I love getting up to speed on something, putting a credible broadcast together and you know, having a good time doing it because sports are fun. Absolutely. It's storytelling, and it's, uh, it's something I really love. So, hopefully, somewhere down the line, I'll get that opportunity. You know, and when Formula One went to NBC, I mean, Lee Diffie, damn him, got my <laughs> dream job. <laughs> <laughs> Lee's a good buddy, and he's doing a great job, but that was my dream job, you know, sure. doing some Olympic sports, which is where I came from originally. Right. And, uh, and doing, you know, open-wheel motorsports and motorsports of all sorts. I mean well, the, the, I mean, you have good
0: chemistry, which seems like every, all of your booth mates, so to speak. But that yeah. Steve Matchett, David Hobbs chemistry you guys have, to me, seems unbeatable. Uh, and Nothing against uh, uh, Lee, of course, but, mm-hmm. but uh, how does that achieve? Like, is it just the fact that you guys are three personalities who kind of understand each other? Is that years of working together? What, what's kind of led to that kind of what I believe is some of the best chemistry out there?
1: Well, it was kind of a magic moment. You know, we needed a guy for another guy for the booth. Actually, at one point, we had four announcers in the booth in uh, Connecticut doing Formula One. Myself, David, Steve, and Sam Posey. Um, Steve was hired by our vice president of production, Frank Wilson, who had read his books. It was, gosh, what year would it have been? The mid-90s. We had the 24 Hours of Le Mans and the Canadian Grand Prix taking place on the same weekend, Perfect. and we were short announcers. David was going to be sent off to do Le Mans because sure. that's, that's his what first he love. Sure. And he and Sam were going to Le Mans, and I was going to work in the studio, and they needed somebody next to me. So Frank, on a whim, you know, knew this guy who was an ex-mechanic. He probably who probably had just left Benatonna. Seemed art to kill it, yeah, yeah. And, then, and called him up, and Steve said, yeah, I'll do that. So Steve came in, and, and we had a good broadcast, and then David came back. And we had this, I don't know if you want to call it luck, this instant chemistry, because Dave was the driver. Right. And instead of having another driver in there, you now you had, had a mechanic, so you got both sides of the street. Right, so yeah. I give Steve all the credit in the world for pioneering that role of the mechanic in the booth that yeah. we, we see often now on, on broadcast, sure, but sure. he was really the first guy who came up there and uh, and made that work, you know, taking a whole different perspective, you know? And it, it, whether it was in fun, you drivers were all a bunch of prima donnas, right. you don't know anything about the car, let me tell you about the car. Um. It it just really worked, right? And, and it was one of those those magic times, and I'll be forever grateful for having that time together. And it's probably not repeatable at this point, but you never know. Never know. There's two guys that come to mind for like color commentary
2: that are known for kind of saying things off the cuff: mm-hmm. Dorsey Schrader and uh, and David Hobbs. Yeah. Have either of them ever said something on air that you looked at them and you thought like, you know, we can't see what you guys are saying to each other or looking at each other?
1: Oh, um, yeah, there's a lot of icons. I was
2: going to say, I've heard a few things out of those guys before that I was like, wow, he really said that. Right. And I just wondered, Justin Bell in. Oh, perfect, <laughs> perfect <yeah>. example. <laughs> Great, yeah, exactly as, as right. As
1: Calvin said at the banquet last night, Justin's one of those guys who says what I'm thinking because <laughs> I'm not going to say <laughs> it. Um, exactly. Well, I mean, there's obviously things that you that really shouldn't be said for whatever reason just because they're not appropriate for television. Dorsey, of course, was famous for his malaprops, you know, you see that tree behind the tree <laughs> and all that kind <laughs> of thing uh david is famous for his you know his his incredibly spot-on expressions that's not a yep. real world word but you know exactly what he's saying when he talks about the clag on um, yep. the racetrack yep. Yep. um you know and what's a <laughs> and, uh, <you> know, <laughs> that there kind was of
0: thing i think in was i think it was thing of a spa 98 with with all the rain everybody piles up and mm-hmm. ricardo rossett just comes flying full speed into everybody and just i don't know are you here well,
1: not much between the ears for that boy. <laughs> 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 so he can say it, I guess. So, oh yeah. Well, yeah. you know, you kind of want that. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's it's not supposed to be all sweetness and light. You know, yeah. I, I I pick on golf commentary all the time because you know something this horrible shank goes into the crowd or into the lake or you know through a nearby store window and the worst you'll hear of a golf commentary is, well, that's not what he wanted on that shot. Right. Right. But you I know, unless you had Johnny Miller, who was like the equivalent of a, of a racing comedy. is like, man, he choked on that. <laughs> was, what was he thinking?
2: I can actually argue against that, that sometimes in sports car racing, you actually are probably the more direct with what you're seeing. You'll say, oh, that wasn't too bright, you know, or something yeah. along those lines. But for a period of time, this is more in the speed vision days. Mm-hmm. Someone would be running 13th out of 15 cars, and I would hear, uh, oh, he's doing a great job. they running 13th because they'd pick him up on camera for the time being. And I always thought, no, 13th out of 15 sucks. He's not having a good day. Like, he's miserable right now. Well, that's got to be one of the challenges, too, because sports car,
0: and and I mean, really all racing now, but especially sports car, where there are a lot of gentlemen that are paying to be there. Right. They're going to leave if they're insulted on television constantly. That's got to be a tough game when you see something that is just not intelligent.
1: It's a bit of a high wire act, for sure. I try not to be judgmental because I don't have anything to judge by. I'm not the ex driver. Right. I've not been in that situation, so it's not fair of me to. Yeah, you don't have to be a chicken to judge an omelet, but by the same (laughs) token. (laughs) You know, I I try not to go there. I I like to be descriptive, you know, uh, and try to sometimes maybe state the obvious. But, uh, you know, again, I have the color commentators who can explain exactly what just happened. Right. Um, But there are so many of those sorts of things in a broadcast. Uh, You you want the newbies to feel like they belong, so there's certain things you have to explain to them. And then there's the f- sophisticated end of the fan scale where they, they know everything already. Maybe know more than you do about it. Right. And so you want to give them what they need without boring them to death. Yeah, sure. I, right. I used to get I a really lot of flack because we'd, we'd describe the Formula One qualifying process in every in qualifying every show. every broadcast, sure. And I would, I would get emails and tweets like, why do you have to go through this <laughs> protocol every time? <laughs> well... Because a lot of folks might be tuning in who have no idea what out. they're looking sure, at. Mm-hmm. So Sure. Again, it's you know that's a bit of a of a high wire act. You want to be entertaining. You know, you want to tell stories, and it's it's kind of a mentally draining process <laughs> right, from <laughs> time to time. <laughs> Especially, you know, I tell people they ask, you know, what races do you like to call? I like a good race. Right. The good races are easy to call because you know stuff is happening. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it all means something. The really hard races to call are the boring ones because that's when your mind starts to wander and you're scratching for something to talk about. You start saying stupid things. (laughs) Right, right. Um, that's so that everyday life for us. Those,
2: that yeah. those are the races where they're like, doing a great job in 13. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now I get <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like Robin Miller says, if
1: I hear one more time that we had a good top 20 car today, it's going to drive me nuts. <laughs> but that's why you need those kinds of personalities, sure, like sure. him, like Dorsey, like yeah. David, like Justin. Justin, for sure. Uh, you need a variety of personalities and people who take different positions on things. Uh, right. There's nothing wrong with a good argument every now and then. Right. Yeah, we actually worked with Justin Bell a couple of years ago. Uh, he raced
2: with me in the twenty-four hour. Yep, and Magnus, yeah. and he was, did a great job. I mean, he hasn't wow. raced in a while, and he was he was right there on pace and everything. So when I do hear him be critical of somebody on TV, I, my first thought is like he he can back that up. Like yeah. he can go get in that car and, and still do it. Yep. Dorsey, I'm sure, is the same. Oh, you yeah. know. So I actually kind of enjoy when Justin's a little bit controversial because it's like the guy does. He's a Le Mans winner and like <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, he's like a GT somewhere. champion. You know, he's. And now man.
1: you know with IMSA's rules about the FIA driver ratings and yeah, you know, you yeah. You turn 50, you become a silver. Right. Yeah. And you need a good silver driver if you're in a pro win class. Sure. So yeah. I mean, all of our guys: Brian Till, Calvin, Justin. You know, yeah. are yeah. all, yeah. all talking about. Yeah. Well, well it's it's coming 50 up. Boy, I, Yeah. That's right. I'm a silver. That's right. I'm out of here.
0: Speaking of gold drivers, uh, we had we had dinner with a little bit sauced Catherine Leg last night, Mm -hmm. and uh, (laughs) we we (laughs) we're gonna have to edit half of it. But um, uh, was she rowdy? She wasn't rowdy. She was honest. We let's just say we have a bet between us. Like we're we're what are we about? Uh, About 15 hours post dinner, I guess you call it, and we're waiting for the. Can we talk about last night kind of text? Can, you d- can we Can we maybe redo not that? mention some of the things I mentioned? <laughs> you know, we're, yeah. we're waiting for that. But, but there oh. was a uh, there's a segment. We we kind of cued you on this before, but there is a segment where we have every meal that we have kind of get passed on to the next with a question. So Catherine right. had had a question for you. Okay.
2: Yeah. yeah, Catherine's question. Well, she had two, actually, and we, we kind of shut the first one down. But her first question <laughs> was, uh, is – uh, oh, uh, yeah, now there's yeah, three players. questions. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so her, her, her first question, and she's going to
0: regret it, and so we can't delete this now, but uh, okay. uh, uh, she said, do you prefer to have your loo roll over or under? And my first thought was, is he going to know what a loo roll is? Oh, absolutely. Okay.
2: <laughs> excuse me. Over, so 100% <laughs> over. Okay. 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 Fair, enough. Right. Fair enough. Fair um, the enough. The second of the three questions Just was, between
1: was us boys, what was Catherine's <laughs> answer to that question? Did you ask her? She didn't tell us. Yeah, we, never got no. No, we spent uh. the entire time wondering what a Lou role yeah. was. I was like, a jazz singer? I don't <laughs> know. Hey, listen, you work with Steve Matchett and David Hobbs, yeah. and and either block. Peter Windsor or Will Buxton, these guys all these years. Right. Mm. You know way more than what a Lou is. but. <laughs> 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 she uh, also wanted to know
2: if, if, quote, is that your everyday voice? Yep. Yeah, that's the one we shut we down. I'm, like, I'm pretty that. sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't think he's faking I it.
1: I wouldn't know how to change my voice. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Not having been through broadcast school right um you know i get letters from young people all the time how do i get a start in television and they say well my job kind of found me so i don't sure. I, I don't yeah. like know what to tell you except start at the bottom so and do you, you think that
0: would if you if you not that you really set out to be a broadcaster mm-hmm. but knowing how saturated broadcasting is now between a million cable channels and internet feeds uh do you think if you'd gone to emory in the year 2015 do you think that same path could have found you in the way it did
1: Wow, that's a good question, and I, I'd have to say probably not. Right. You know, I think I, I was just so fortunate, you know, it was just such a, a great moment in time for me personally. Um, I don't know if it's repeatable, right. maybe, but, you know, it, it. I'd have to try. I hate to have to try it. Sure. Yeah, right. But so, uh, Catherine's
2: real question, hardest thing you've ever had to say on the air. We uh, um, we thought maybe a situation, you know, yeah. versus, like, just the one
1: thing or you couldn't get or out. Or just the name Marcus Winklehold. <laughs> right. Or something <laughs> along those lines. Like, Winky. The <laughs> hardest thing in terms of difficulty actually saying it or, you know, like, Senna's dead or... Um, Let's go situational. Like, toughest yeah. thing. Gosh. Um, you know, I... I, I really can't think of something offhand because part of my job is is being ready and willing to, you know, to say whatever needs to be said at a given moment. Uh, and aside from the, the, the horrifying reality of a fatality, um, I, I, I can't really think of something that was ever really difficult for me to say on the air, except... Uh, formula one has a new home on another network next year and i'm not (laughs) going there so that was pretty tough that'll be a good one i meant not to cry doing that but uh uh, you know that would probably be it saying goodbye to formula one which is ironic because it had left me once before too at espn right and i chased it to speed but um yeah i'd I'd have to go with that um I, i will admit to having enough ego that i that i take pride in in being ready willing and able to address anything sure um on the air especially when the microphone's
2: not turned on (laughs) so in that same uh segment Mm -hmm. we're going to move into your question and our uh, next interview is going to be Bo barfield who's a former chief steward at indycar currently at imsa yep if you had one question for Bo,
1: what would you come up with what is the one thing television does or television announcers do that drives you crazy I think that's probably going to be... Uh, We've got our hour filled. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah.
1: Well,
0: let me tell you. Yeah. So. Well, it's... Uh, now, do you guys know each other? I mean, I don't know how much between, like, oh say, yeah. the officials yeah. team and the broadcast team, how much interaction... Yeah, is. we
1: meet with uh, with Bo and, uh, and Paul Walters and yeah. uh, and some usually some other IMSA officials every race weekend right. to talk about you know whatever we have questions about, whether it's how the racetrack's going to set up or what specific rules and, you know, go zones and... You know, yeah. pit pit in and out and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. yeah, we usually spend between half hour and an hour chatting about one thing or another.
0: Well, I gotta say, we I can't give you enough credit for uh, <laughs>
1: coming out here on a
0: whim. <laughs> oh, you know, with, with my pleasure. Two people you don't really know, and you didn't even eat. You didn't even get your compensation <laughs> for this deal. I'm not costing you guys anything. Yeah, no, we <clears> should <throat> have more guests. It's like a good us. day. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, that's so. good. Budgets
1: in line. Yeah. Happy to do it anytime. Cool. All right, well, Continental's got the check. Is that your sign off? <laughs>
0: I'm finished the sounds of bob Varsha. i uh i honestly can't give that guy enough credit for sort of what a willing participant he's been in in a number of things we've done together so uh, kudos to bob thanks again for that uh continuing our tradition of closing out these conversations with uh, bands that we like and friends of ours uh we're going to turn our attentions to an old buddy of mine anthony lax uh who's in a band called stony spring out here in los angeles uh, Stony Springs got a couple of albums out now on iTunes. A uh, real cool kind of fun sound to them. Uh, we'll probably play a couple of their tracks over, uh, over the series. Uh, but the first one I want to play is a song called Jobs. It's actually on an old album of theirs, but uh, still a good one. You can check them out on iTunes. Again, it's Stony Spring. Stony Spring, available on iTunes. Here's a sample. Mmm.
3: Blame Steve Jobs For what he's done to our bodies And our brains No, no, no I blame you And me For making Steve Jobs Feel like what he done Was right I don't blame Steve Jobs For what he's done To our planet And our workers and our slaves You know everything we've done Since 1982 Was wrong And Steve Jobs Just a puppeteer in a turtleneck And I don't blame Steve Jobs For turning rock and roll Into a store at the mall I blame you Accepting the seduction Of being normal Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't blame Steve Jobs For driving a spike Through the heart of the public space No, no, no Blame you and me For retreating Sexy, crumbling civilization Whoa, whoa, whoa I don't blame Steve Jobs For castrating what's left of the left wing No, no, no I blame you and me For begging Steve Jobs for anesthesia Yeah, yeah, yeah And a prescription To cure ambiguity and confusion and the struggle to carve out one's own life. Like a shonen knife, the man had 14 wives. Let me check my text messages. My kids got lice. us timid and defeat